morning to everybody. Let me begin by telling you what a delightful week you have provided for my wife and I. There are just all kinds of amazing, amazing things to talk about. What did we do Sunday? We went to Debbie and Tom, can I pronounce it right, Billido's house? Oh, yay. Okay, good. And we didn't get home from lunch till 5 o'clock in the evening. Okay? I don't, the more that it went on, the more it went on. And it was all kinds of stuff. And then... What did we do Monday? I don't know. Maybe Monday we went to the Atchafalaya Welcome Center, and another day we got a boat ride around Martinville Lake. Some Lake Martin. Okay, good. And then another day we went to Pat and Paula Futch. Okay, and we ate with them until the sun went down and it was the longest day of the year and it was spectacular all right and one day we went to to the avery place and we got avery island and and we got that stuff that we ate lots of when we were in iraq in the military what's it tabasco sauce and they were very nice and they even gave me a tabasco sauce with a navy crest on it. it was very exciting okay so i was i was very thrilled about that we were delighted in that. Oh, wait, then we went to, someday we went to the coffee depot, and we had some boudin. Okay, yes, good, and the list goes on. What I want to do is share with you the delight that we've had in being with you, because that's an example of the delight in the Lord. Did you notice, I didn't pick the music today, but I I might as well have. It talks about the very words that we're talking about here. Somewhere in there we had something about delighting in God and hope and things like that. That's really what scripture is. That it should be something that brings about delight in the Lord. Psalm 119, verse 105, talks about, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. That When we're talking about God's word, it does wonderful things for us. It shows us the way to go. There's, there's something there that we should have delight in. So as we come today to sort of completing our teaching, because I only get two Sundays, uh, on the scriptures from 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, I've had to trim and trim and trim and lots of things that you would like me to talk about and lots of things that I would like to talk about we don't have time for. But we're going to talk about just a few things here. So let's read that uh, scripture passage. But we're going to add to it just a little bit so that we get a little bit more context into what we're doing. 2 Timothy chapter 3. And this time we're going to begin at verse 14. Verse 14. Paul begins with, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, which we know from last week is another way of describing scripture, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, 
for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Let's go to the Lord now in prayer. Father, it's an amazing thing to think about your word, to think about how profitable the things are that you have breathed out for us. And so, Father, as I speak and as we hear, may we all have our hearts and minds opened to be more and more filled with your spirit and your word. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Remember last week we asked three questions about scripture. The first one we ask is, what is it? And we'll talk about that in a moment. And we talked about where does it come from and then what do you do with it? And the answers were, well, what is it? It's the 66 books of the Bible and no others. It's the Old Testament and the books that come from the circle of the apostles. No one gets to add more books or take them away. We didn't talk about several ideas that are popular these days, but I do want to just throw one thing in here. There are a lot of people who would like to slice off the Old Testament from us. I'm sure you know people who talk about how they're New Testament Christians, and all they want to be is New Testament Christians. I remember talking to some folks about passages in the Bible, and they said, well, that's in the Old Testament. That doesn't count anymore. Guess what? The Old Testament does count. We're going to talk more about that in just a moment. But it is an important thing. We didn't talk about how Jesus is the word made flesh, which we could have done to explain the part about how the New Testament comes from the cycle, the the circle of people who are around Jesus. Jesus is the New Testament in body. He's training and teaching his disciples. And so when they write, they write down the things that he said, and that gives you the New Testament in a book. So that's what it is, the 66 books of the Bible and none others. And then we talked about what is Scripture and how it is breathed from the mouth of God. It's the Word of God. And we didn't talk at any length about how God breathes the Scriptures out. Paul, in writing to Timothy, is not particularly concerned with how God does that, only that he does it. And our Old Testament writers, they don't tell us how God does that either, only that he does it. But what Paul does tell us is, what do you do with it? If all scriptures God breathed, he says, it's profitable. Scripture is profitable. It's profitable for both teaching and for how we live our lives. It is, in fact, delightful. Scripture is something that it's not necessarily always fun, but it is profitable. It's profitable precisely because it is breathed by God. Its divine origin guarantees its profitability to us as people because God is good. And the stuff that he gives to us is good. So he's giving us good things here. So to understand what Paul means, let me read again what He says in verses 14 and 15, he says to Timothy, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. He's talking about himself as Paul, but he's also talking about uh, Timothy's mother and grandmother who've taught him the scriptures. And how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. The scriptures make you wise for salvation through Jesus Christ. 
John Stott, one of my favorite writers, puts it this way. He says, the Bible is essentially a handbook of salvation. Its overarching purpose is to teach the facts of salvation which only God can reveal. The whole Bible unfolds the divine plan of salvation, humanity's creation in God's image, the fall through disobedience into sin and under judgment, God's continuing love for us in spite of our rebellion, God's eternal plan to save us through his covenant of grace with a chosen people that culminates in Christ. The coming of Christ as the Savior who died to bear our sin, was raised from death, exalted to heaven, and sent the Holy Spirit. He goes on. This is one really long sentence here. And our rescue first from guilt and alienation and then from bondage and finally from death and our progressive experience of being God's children. That is what the Bible is all about. We've got the terrible news, we've got the bad news, but we've got the good news, we've got the rescue, we've got life, we've got eternal life. And none of this would be known without the biblical revelation. And it teaches us that we achieve that salvation by faith in Jesus Christ. The Bible focuses its attention on him. The Old Testament foretells and foreshadows him in many and various ways. I can remember at a a Bible study that I go to, there's a a guy that often asks, but how could they understand in the Old Testament what this was about? How could they understand? And I always say, how could they not understand? They had to know that all of these things that are in the Old Testament, they're not just about themselves, but they're about the Messiah, the Christ who is to come. The Gospels, they tell the story of the birth and the life of Jesus, his words and his works, his death and resurrection. The Acts describe what he continued to do and teach through his chosen apostles, especially in spreading the Gospel and establishing the church from Jerusalem all the way to Rome. The epistles, which come after that, of course, in the Bible, the epistles display the full glory of his person and work, and it applies the life of Christ to the Christian and to the church. And then the book of Revelation that finishes off the whole scripture describes Christ sharing the throne of God now and coming soon to complete his salvation and judgment. There's a a comprehensive picture here of Jesus Christ that's intended to produce our faith in him in order that by faith we may be saved. So it's no wonder that the apostle can say that it is profitable for teaching. That's by by why week by week your pastor should stand before you and teach what the scriptures say because the scriptures are wisdom. The scriptures are the very things that we need. And that may seem obvious to you here today, but it is not at all obvious to many people. When you watch television and they show you a snippet of a supposed sermon, what do you usually see? Something that's pretty sappy, right? Doesn't have anything to do with the gospel, doesn't have anything to do with God. It's usually some feel-good speech that you just go, ah. I can't stand it. Fortunately, they don't give you very many sermons on television. But if they don't like Christians, then they'll give you somebody who's angry and bitter and make sure that we look bad. And I don't have to tell you today 
that in many churches, the scriptures are a closed book. People very often reject the authority of scripture to speak to them. I remember reading the story of a, of a church election in uh, some other place and some other time. And somebody stood up and read the qualifications of an elder from Second Timothy. And the report was that the congregation laughed. They laughed that person to scorn because they knew they weren't going to elect anybody. They knew there wasn't even a candidate for election who was anything like what the Bible described. There's a hostility to scripture. But for Christians, we have this wonderful handbook that tells us how to be wise for salvation. This book is wonderfully profitable for us, for for teaching and for refuting error. And I might add, that's why it's appropriate for you to take time to attend Bible studies in Sunday school, where you, you dig into the scriptures together and find out what it says, where sometimes somebody says something and everybody groans and you go, what, did I get that wrong? Yeah, sometimes we don't get it right and we need somebody to to help us out and show us what it says the bible's big enough that you can study it for your entire life and you can always find new and exciting things sometimes the most obscure things in scripture that you never thought were going to be interesting to you at some point in your life you go oh that's what that's about because it speaks to you at that very moment in your life so it's exciting that you have all those things here. It's exciting to me when I read the bulletin and, and, okay, there's this thing on Wednesday and there's this thing on Thursday and there's this thing on Friday. Oh, wait, there's this thing on Sunday. That's a very exciting thing here. It's delightful. My dad is a very spry 83-year-old, and he's an elder in his local church out in California, and he does a lot of the things that your elders do here. And he and I talk on the phone uh, for exactly an hour one day every week we're very good at that one hour on it and what dad does is he carries around a notepad with him all the time and he's got it by the phone for the phone call because it's a scheduled event it's on both of our calendars all right we know when this phone call is going to be and during the week he's been writing down his observations on the scriptures and his questions and all the things that he's been thinking about because he's teaching Sunday school and sometimes he's helping with the communion and sometimes the pastor's away and he's got to speak. And so when I call, he gets out that pad and he says, can I do this? Can I say that? Is that really what the Bible says? And he makes, he's asked these questions that make my, my heart and my head jump with joy because he's got some real depth and some insight and All of that memory work from seminary that I talked about bears fruit. And and he'll ask, what's the Bible doctrine on this? Here's what the pastor said. Here's what the podcast I was listening to said. I was reading a book by Sinclair Ferguson, and here's what he said. What do you think, son? It's like, ooh, I get to be in the same sentence with Sinclair Ferguson. All right. And then he goes and he teaches a class, a growth group, or... One of the things they do at their church is once a quarter, they have a question and answer thing. I I call it stump the pastor, right? And the people get to ask questions, and dad gets assigned to answer some of these things. And he's like, "Ah, what's the answer to this? What am I supposed to say about it? What are we doing there? What we're doing is 
saying the Bible's profitable for teaching and we're looking at it together. For the pastor, it's a great joy. For the elder, it's a great joy. For the Christian, it's a great joy. It's exciting to be able to say, what does the Bible say about this topic, that topic, and the other one? But not only that, it's a great topic, a great resource for reproof. And that's a word that means blame or censure. It's expressed to someone who's wrong. And some people are great fans of censure. They love it. When I get to censure you, say they, they're pretty excited. They know all the right things if they get to blame other folks. But what scripture does is it blames us. Scripture says that we are sinners, and it also shows us the way out of blame. It does this by correction, by pointing us in the right direction. In the military, we talk about a course correction where you change course so that you're headed in the right direction. It shows us the glories of how Christ died for us, how God is at work in us to make us holy and to bring us to glory. Scripture trains us in righteousness. When we delight in God, we want to know about righteousness. It's, it's a delight to be generous. It's a delight to be open to God. All the good things that, that go with genuine righteousness. The fruit of the Spirit, for example, includes love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's really a good way to live. As I was working on this particular sermon, we came across a passage in Psalm 78. I won't make you turn to it. But this is from Psalm 78, verses 5 and following. It talks about God. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach their children, that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children so that they should set their Hope in God and not forget the works of God but keep his commandments. All these things are here for us so that we have hope, so that we have this joy, this delight of vision in God. Scripture teaches us about all the things that we should do. Imagine a world where people really treated each other the way the Ten Commandments tell us to do that. That would make a lot of human interactions a lot more fun, especially as you drive down the highway. All right, as we treat each other the right way. Stott makes the point also that what Paul does in this passage is he gives us two pairs of words. There is a positive and a negative word in each one of these pairs. Teaching goes with reproof. Correction goes with training and righteousness. Scripture helps us to take off the old man and to put on the new man. That is to say, to put on Christ. So as we teach... Sometimes we have to tell folks that they're wrong. Sometimes people hold wrong ideas. Sometimes they do wrong things. And it can be hard to say to people, you're doing something wrong. But it's also profitable because scripture is God-breathed. It will show us the way to go. On this uh, particular trip, well, not this one, but in the last it's beginning in May, we leave home, all right? We're going to go home tomorrow, Lord willing. But along the way, we stopped off at a place where I used to be the, the military chaplain, and I found a whole congregation of people 
that were there when I was there 15 years ago. Yay. And I saw one of the people there, and I thought, oh, no, how's this going to go? Because my last memory of being with him was going to his house and saying, what are you doing? You're doing something bad. Your wife is very concerned about it. This is a problem. And I thought, oh, here he comes. He came running up to me in this church service. I mean, as soon as the amen, he came running up. And he said, thank you. Thank you for coming to see me 15 years ago and correcting me. He said it it changed his life. It saved his marriage. It pointed him in the right direction. And here he was. He's going to be the preacher in that congregation next Sunday because somebody took the time to go and say, hey, you're doing the wrong thing here. So if we grow in truth and we overcome error, we overcome evil and grow in holiness, we need to profit from the scriptures. Psalm 37 verse 4 puts it perfectly. It tells us to delight in the Lord. I really think that that profiting from the scriptures and delighting in God are the same thing. And so how do we do that? Well, the first and foremost thing that we need to do is to read them. We need to read scripture. And then we need to study scripture, which is not quite the same thing. You may simply read your Bible, and that's wonderful. In my Navy days, I would usually get to work very early so I could spend a few quiet minutes at my desk. If nothing else, that gave me a parking lot somewhere closer to the office. But that gave me a chance to sit down and read the Bible before people came bustling in. Read and become familiar with the New Testament, the Psalms, the prophets, and even the law of Moses, right? Some parts are more fun than others, I admit that. But even the most obscure parts turn out to be profitable. So read the scriptures. And when you get ready to call a pastor, I'm going to suggest something that may sound embarrassing. But ask him, do you read the Bible and pray? Those two should go together. In the Navy, it was... Well, there are no secrets, all right? When you deploy, everybody knows everything about everybody. And one of the things that I discovered about a lot of chaplains was they didn't want to read their Bibles, and they didn't want to pray. My boss, who's a wonderful Christian man who's retiring uh, next Friday, this Friday, what is it, six days from now, something like that, he was always amazed at how few chaplains actually wanted to do worship services. The fact is, I think that's connected. We cannot take it for granted that everyone actually reads their Bibles, even if they're a seminary graduate. So ask about that. Encourage one another to read your Bibles. But you'll grow more if you do more than just read. You also want to study the Bible, something like you did in school. Remember that school? Remember when you went to school, how terrible it was, and they made you learn things? (sighs) Study. It's a good thing. Compare scripture with scripture, all right? For example, let's say you have a Bible with all of those cool footnotes in it, you know, those little A, B, C, D, E, F, G things in there. You read a few verses and then take those references and look at the other verses that are talking about the same things. Compare them with one another. Maybe one text is a little hard for you to grasp, but one will sparkle with clarity. Maybe you take a concordance and you take one 
single word. And you just look up all the references to that word. You'll be amazed when you do that for some words. You'll be absolutely amazed when you find all the ways that a word is used in the Bible. I looked at every reference to the word scripture for this sermon today and some of the other words that mean the same things. And I just found amazing things as I worked on these two sermons. I recall teaching a class at a a Navy chapel in the book of Leviticus. How many people would say Leviticus is their favorite book? When I was in seminary and we got to Leviticus, the kid sitting next to me in class refused to read it, even though it was a requirement for class. He said, I'm not reading that. That's such a waste of time to read Leviticus. Okay, I've lost five points on the final exam because one of the questions was, did you read Leviticus? All right. But this class, we were thinking, what are we going to study for our next Bible class thing? And we looked at each other and, and said, how about Leviticus? And everybody went, Leviticus? I don't want to study Leviticus. And, but I said, let's, let's do it. By the time we finished Leviticus, there was a sense of awe that had fallen upon us as a group for the holiness of God and for the interest that God had in the things of this world. Because Leviticus, which seems boring, is really interesting. You could do more. You can read books. Sinclair Ferguson, all right? You can listen to podcasts. You can know all about the tremendous resources on YouTube. You can do more than just read scripture, study it. And when you do, you'll be complete, equipped for every good work, he says. But I want you to do more than that. I want you to talk about scripture. You know, talk with each other about it. It's, it's actually an interesting thing. Imagine if you had a regular phone call once a week with somebody where you just talk about, what are you thinking about in the scriptures? I know it's exciting for me. Put them on your walls. I was at Pat and Paula's house, and they had Acts 2.46 in the dining room right in front of my face. I'm sitting there eating. I don't know what all it was. Well, I do too. But, I mean, there was, if you want to say thank you, have seconds. I'm sure I had seconds. And there, right in front of me, was how the apostles, the teaching, the fellowship, and the breaking of bread together. So I'm looking at this Bible verse as I'm eating this wonderful pork loin with the green beans, and then there was this other stuff that went with it. I don't know what that was. What was it? Yeah, corn roasted grits. Thank you. And then there was dessert. So we're, we're talking about Scripture. We're looking at Scripture. We're fellowshipping together. How about this one? Memorize Scripture. When my wife and I first got married, on our honeymoon, we're on the way driving home. She I'm driving, of course, and she pulls out the Bible and says, okay, let's start, and we're going to memorize Psalm 90 together. And from the beginning, there we were, working on memorizing Scripture together and having family worship. Do something like that as best you can, even if it's only a very short couple of minutes. Do something like that. I know that many people say they don't have time, and that may be true. We live in very busy times. Yeah, time has a way of being more flexible than we might think. I can remember when I was younger, we had a pastor relative. It was actually one of Laura Lee's uncles, Ruth Kale's husband. Yeah, And he 
had a full-time job. But what did he do? He had a tape for young people that's like streaming only you brought it with you. Okay? And, and, and he, he had the Bible on tape. And he would put that in his, in his car. It had the tape player in the car in those days. You don't have that anymore. But don't. Anyway, and he would listen to his sermon text on the way to and from work every day. By the end of the week, he had memorized his Bible text just by driving to work and back every day. So even if you don't have time, find a few minutes here and there. You and I can do things like that. You and I can read books. We can, we can invest a little bit of time in that. There's so many resources available to you. And when you do those things, you really will be equipped. There'll be times when something happens and you'll have the right answer. I don't always tell stories about me, but th- here's a fun one that I will give you. As we're almost closing here. Some years ago, I was sitting in the wardroom of a ship, and I was drinking my hot tea. Everybody else is drinking coffee. We're having a meeting. I accidentally missed my mouth. I didn't miss my mouth. I don't know. But I poured this cup of hot tea right in my lap, all right? Just, and right across from me is this one particular officer who was, I'm going to suggest he may not have been a Christian. And you can see his eyes. They just glistened. Oh, what's the chaplain going to do with this thing? And I looked down and said, well, that was unpleasant, wasn't it? (laughs) And everybody there did the same thing. They just laughed. And they were expecting all those words that sailors know. But there I was because God had equipped me to be ready for this good work. So, we could argue that this is just for the minister. Paul does say that the man of God may be complete, but I don't think so. Paul says in Romans chapter 15, whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. And I'll bet that we can all use lots of endurance. I'll bet we can all use lots of encouragement. I'll bet we can all use lots of hope. If you want that, then use the instruction, the teaching of Scripture. If you haven't been in the habit of reading it at home, make it a goal of four days a week to start. Fifteen minutes a day, a chapter or two makes a nice portion. Lots of resources available for you in the ARP magazine and the Sunday School Quarterly we had this morning. They'll give you a reading and a prayer focus for each day. So let me ask you, will you commit yourself at least to reading Scripture? If you're already doing that, great, keep it up. If you haven't been reading it, though, consider making a covenant with God that you will read it. It might seem hard to start. It might seem daunting to start. But it's definitely profitable because it's God speaking to you to make you equipped for every good work. And that's a good and delightful thing. Let's go to the Lord now in prayer. Father, it's an amazing thing to think of how you speak to us, that you communicate with us, that you've given us your word, not things that that we make up in our own minds, but, but your word. So we pray, Father, that you'd give us a hunger and a thirst for your word. Help us, Lord, not to be satisfied until until we know what you say and think about all the things of our lives. 
We pray, Father, that you would speak to us through your word. Give us that hope, that faith that this book would be to us, a book of salvation as we learn about Jesus, a book of profit to us as we go through our lives. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.